Good morning, church. My name's Mark, if you're, not, if you're new and visiting. Uh, and I have just begun working for the church. But prior to that, yeah, but prior to that um, I was a school teacher. And my last gig as a school teacher was the, the privilege of going to the Philippines. And, uh, and it was a really, really fantastic trip. We took 10 students over to a place called Bacolod. Is that right? Got it? Um, and went over to Bacolod and with 10 students of years 10 and 11. So around, the youngest was 15 and the oldest was about to turn 18. And it was a fantastic experience just immersing ourselves in a completely different culture. A fantastic experience really for me and for the students to see and experience poverty like I've never seen. Um, and it was really eye-opening and confronting. Um, but part of the cultural experience as well was was uh, eating different foods and trying different things as a team. So uh, maybe you've heard of balut. I won't, won't explain what balut is, but we tried balut. We, we ate a fruit that smelt like a public toilet. Um, <laughs> so that, that was an interesting challenge. But what was also interesting about the meal time wasn't just what we were eating, which was really different, but was also the fact that we would sit down, there was about 14 of us, and every meal we would sit down and about 90% of the time that we were seated at the table as a group, 90% of the people who were in the group were on their smartphones. And whilst we were all there together, present, building in, in, in a sense a, a friendship and a camaraderie, uh, they were also there present, carrying on in their friendship with, with many people immediately back home. So they were able to like upload photos of, oh, this is the water bottle that I'm drinking from or... Uh, this is uh, one of the tricycle, the, the, the three-wheel motorbikes that, that uh, have like 12 people on them and they just take a photo and bang, it's, it's on Instagram for all their friends to click and like. Um, and it got me thinking a lot about how we live in a world that has been radically changed in our friendships because of social uh, networks, because of the way that we interact through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram, which is probably my favourite um, and yet we interact and we have lots of friends. I'm currently on 627 friends on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that therefore qualifies me or disqualifies me to give a message on friendship. But, but as we interact using the social media, as we interact with our friends, a lot of the information that we are passing on, whilst I have 627 friends, a lot of the information that I ever put on Facebook is really useless. And a lot of the photos that I put on Instagram I think are great. But... But the bulk of them, really, uh, the, the bulk of them are like, you know, like I said, a photo of here's the meal I just ate or uh, here is a photo of someone that I just thought was interesting as I drove past them or they're just, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole lot of useless information. We're interacting with lots of people, but the depth of our interaction is very, very shallow. And during the week, I've been looking at and researching a little bit about social media, about friendships these days. And what's really interesting is that the research and the studies are showing is whilst we are really connected and we have many, many friends according to our Facebook accounts, we're actually more lonely. And whilst we are more able to interact immediately, even at the click of a button in the Philippines, I can let people know where I'm at, what I've been doing. Even though the immediacy is there, we're actually more lonely, the studies are showing. We're actually... The depth of friendship isn't there. And it made me throughout the week ask lots of questions, lots of questions about friendship uh, and, and, and what makes a good friend. And there is so much that could be said this morning. There's so much that could be asked and, and hopefully seek to try and answer. But I want to try and narrow the focus a little bit this morning. If you want a title of what we're looking at this morning, the question that I want to ask and then seek to achieve to answer is... How do you bring glory to God in your friendships? How do you bring glory to God in your friendships? Is it, is it God glorifying by having lots and lots of friends on Facebook? And, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. They're the questions I want to ask. Is it glorifying to God uh, if you just bump into someone down at the shops regularly and, they, and, and that's all, uh, and that's your interaction, that's your friendship? Is, how do you... How do you seek to bring glory to God in your friendships? Is the question I want to seek 
to ask and, and, and then answer this morning. So I think it would be helpful as we look at this to perhaps consider that what I have in mind here as well, who I have in mind, might help you guys to then put people in your mind as we're examining friendship. So who do I have in mind? I think I have in mind people who I've in the past shared common experiences with. Maybe it's the common experience of school or of an education. Uh, Maybe I was at uni with them. Maybe I was at, at school with them. Maybe it's the people that I have common hobbies uh, that it's, so maybe it's the surfing or maybe it's um, the, the, the craft or the, the way that you've interacted with them through a sport or some common interest. Uh, maybe it's the people who have a, a common season of life and so they had children at the same time you had children. They had children who started school the same time your children started school. And that you have some sort of history and some sort of commonality that already exists there and that you actually interact, and they're your go-to people in lots of different situations. And what we've been doing in this church is a series that's been called Sanctifying the Ordinary. And I don't want to say that your friendships are ordinary, so I'd rather say, as we consider your extraordinary friendships, how can you actually bring glory to God in those people that you call close friends? How, do you, how can you interact with your close friends in a way and a manner that glorifies God? Have you ever thought deeply about that? Have you ever thought seriously about that? How do you glorify God in your interactions with your good friends? And so that's the question that we're asking and we're going to seek to answer. 1 Samuel 23. And I'm going to pick up from verse 15 through to 18. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Let's pray. Lord, as we ponder something that is so very every day, as we ponder friendship and the people that we call close in our lives, Lord, we want to seek that this be an area that, again, we submit to your lordship in our lives, that we want to seek to submit to you in every area of our lives. And we cannot do that apart from your grace. Lord, as we have just sung, when we are weak, you are strong. And you are the cornerstone. So here we stand on Christ On him and his merit alone we come and we ask by Christ, Lord, would you help us this morning? Would you, by Christ, by the Spirit of the living Lord Jesus, move amongst us this morning? Would you grant us illumination? Would you provoke where we need to be provoked? Would you encourage where we need to be encouraged? Would you comfort where we need to be comforted? Hear us this morning, Lord, as we ask for your help. Amen. Um, So the question, if you like the heading, the heading is a question. How can I bring glory to God in my friendship? How can you bring glory to God in your friendships? And just to give you some good landmarks along the way, the three points that we're going to be looking at as we work through and trying to answer this question, the three key points, though there will be much more to be said, the three key points is firstly... How do you bring glory to God in your friendship? Be intentional. Pursue pursue dependence on God is your second point. Firstly, be intentional. Secondly, pursue dependence on God. And thirdly, be committed. So the first point that we're going to ponder is be intentional. And for that I want to reread verse 15 
and 16 to, or half of the start of 16. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness at Zip at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David. Be intentional. How do I bring glory to God in my friendships? Be intentional. The situation, the circumstance here, if you go back chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, uh, David is the one who has been anointed as a young lad to be the, the future king. Samuel has come to Jesse and, and chosen the youngest son, chosen David and anointed him with oil. In essence, God saying, this is the one. This is a man who is going to be my future king. Chapter 17 is then where David comes and, and brings some bread to his brothers. And his brothers are at war and they're fighting this massive man, this man who's well known as Goliath. And uh, everyone was intimidated by Goliath. And David comes along and David trusts in the Lord. Of course, God had promised. God had promised prior that, that in all our battles, if we trust in him, we will have victory. And so despite the size difference, David steps up trusting in God and defeats the massive, the mighty Goliath. Chapter 18. David's popularity grows. His interactions with Saul is good to start with. He, start, he marries Saul's daughter. He develops a great friendship with this, uh, the son of Saul, the present, king, John, uh, the present king Saul's son, Jonathan. But from there, things start to get really pear-shaped for David and Saul. Their interaction goes really bad. In fact, the jealousy of Saul, of David's popularity actually drives him to pursue, like a hunter hunting a rabbit, David's life. And so the rest of the interaction that we read from, those chapter, from chapter 18 to where we are now at is, in essence, interaction of Saul seeking David, wanting, if you like, if we read even the summarised version in verse 15, that he was seeking his life. So the situation, the circumstances, David's on the run. David is the one who's been hunted is a tough situation. It is a really difficult, fearful situation for David to be in. To be in this circumstance and face the reality that there is the present king of the country pursuing him, not just to find him and put him in jail, but to actually take his life, to seek his life, we're told. That's a tough situation to face. I don't know how you cope in tough situations but I imagine David is struggling full of fear hiding questioning wrestling with God what's going on but he finds that Jonathan is a friend who is intentional Jonathan didn't just bump into him down at the shops and say hey what's been happening lately Jonathan didn't just jump on Facebook and notice that David was online at the same time Jonathan rose and went. There's a sense of purpose. There's a sense of planning. There's an intentionality about it. That Jonathan, in his friendship, glorifies God because he's intentional. That when he finds a friend in need, Jonathan is found to be a friend indeed and goes to be with him. Don't you know the, the joy of that? I don't know if you've experienced that, but I know for me, I, haven't, I certainly cannot relate. I can't even begin to relate to what David is facing. But I know that for me, there has been degrees of, of tough times where I have wrestled with different things that have been going on in my life. And what comes to mind immediately is when I first left Sydney and I actually moved to Nambucca Heads, and moving there, having just finished a degree, I went and worked in the local uh, public high school in Maxville. It's about five hours drive, six hours drive north of Sydney. And I didn't know anyone. I knew maybe, I knew the guy that made the surfboards in the area. But I didn't really even know him that well. And apart from that, that was it. I didn't really have any friendships. I, I, I sort of was on my own in a lot of ways. I moved into a granny flat by myself. Uh, and, and I was alone and found that really hard. And in that time, for me, whilst that was hard and tough, 
I found friends. And friends who, who are actually even still my friends, friends who are even here today. So I'm going to name them uh, and not shame them because it's, it's, it's um, the glory of God that they were good friends in this. So Mike Passo and, and Matt Bingham, who actually made the effort. And it is an effort. It's a planning, intentional drive, six hours to come and be with me whilst I was lonely, whilst I had no friends in the area and, and was trying to get myself established in a new place. And as I went through different things in that time, again, uh, different situations and things arose, different relationship troubles, different uh, circumstances that arose in my family. My, it was That was the year that my parents actually got divorced um, and separated. And, and again, in that tough time for me, the presence of friends who just, just drove to be with me, to be present with me, I thank God for that. So the first question, or the question that we ask is, how do you bring glory to God in your friendships? Be intentional. Be present with people, especially in hard times. Be intentional. How do you bring glory to God in your friendships? Be intentional. How do you bring glory to God in your friendship? Be intentional and pursue dependence on God. Pursue dependence on God. Look with me. At verse 16 through to 17. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went. And he didn't just go and be there and be present, but let's see what else happened. Jonathan rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. That's beautifully well worded, isn't it? He strengthened, he, he strengthened David's hand in God. He strengthened David in God. See, when we are facing tough times, as a good friend, we need to go to the the one who is facing a difficult situation with the, the desire, with the aim of, with the pursuit of strengthening them, not in themselves, not saying, oh, the answer to your tough situation lies within. You have the own ability and strength in and of yourself to get out of this difficult situation. He didn't, Jonathan could have said to David, hey, David, remember a few chapters ago, you're the one, humanly speaking, who defeated Goliath. You'll be right. No worries. Not little old Saul. You, you'll take him because you beat Goliath. You're the man, David. Don't worry. He didn't strengthen him in himself. He didn't offer as the answer to this tough time David's own strength and ability. He didn't offer likewise himself, Jonathan, as an answer. He didn't say, hey, in this tough time, it's okay because I'm here. I'm here for you. You need me and I'm here for you. That's the solution to your tough time. That's what will bring you the most comfort, right? That, that, that I'm here and that you, you've got me and I'm Saul's son. I'm the heir to the throne, if you like, and so no stress, don't worry. I, Jonathan, am here. I am the answer. Jonathan doesn't do that, friends. He doesn't offer himself as the answer. May we be glorifying God in our friendships by never offering ourselves as the answer to people. Never offering ourselves as the answer. See, the wording here is clear, isn't it? He strengthened David in the Lord. How do you glorify God in your friendships? In your friendships, pursue to help one another depend not on each other, but on God. He might be our all in all. Christ alone is the answer to our tough times and our our difficult situations that we face. Christ alone, we sang. In Christ alone. Strengthen one another. Strengthen your friends by pointing them to the one who is the Almighty One. By pointing them to their participation in the Gospel. That, that Christ descended. Descended from heaven. Making Himself nothing. Humbling Himself even to death on a cross. Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that great name that Jesus Christ is Lord. Point your friend to the one who is Lord. 
Remind them of their participation in the gospel, that they might be strengthened in the Lord. How did Jonathan do that specifically? Well, we are privy a little bit to what he may have said or what he did say, sorry, in verse 17. And he said to him, Do not fear. Do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Pause there. How do you glorify God in your friendship where you want to pursue dependence on God? And that is possible because you are interacting with friends and you might be a friend who can be trustworthy. Here is Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of Saul. Saul is pursuing David, seeking his life. And Jonathan says to his friend David, don't worry. I've found you and I've come to you, but I'm not going to tell dad. I'm not going to tell dad that I found you. I'm not going to tell dad where you are. You can trust me. In this tough situation, you can trust me, David. You glorify God by being someone who can be trusted, who is trustworthy in your friendships. And so he says, Do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father shall not find you. And then he says, You shall be king. Stop and ponder that because this is the heir of the throne, the son of the current king, who says to David, you shall be king. How do you glorify God in your friendships? You pursue dependence in a manner that that is self-effacing, that is not concerned primarily for yourself, but wants to help your friend in God. It is not listening in a conversation, but not really listening because all you want to do is then tell what you really want to say. It's genuinely being there to assist and strengthen your friend. It's self-effacing, building up your friend, serving them. Think of how costly this would have been for Jonathan, the heir of the throne with his father seeking the life of his friend. It's his dad. And Jonathan says to to David, you shall be king. And then ponder what that means as well, even further on a deeper level. You shall be king. No doubt David and Jonathan, being friends, have had the conversation where David has informed him of what happened in chapter 16, where David was anointed, where the promise of God is has been made known and and revealed that David will somehow become king. So here we have Jonathan saying, you shall be king because it's it's not even in our hands. It's, It's something that God has promised. How do you strengthen someone in God? I think here's a great example of of what Jonathan is doing here. He points his friend to the promises of God. He points his friend in a difficult situation to the promises of God that are relevant to that situation. Points his friend to the promises of God that are relevant to that situation. You bring glory to God in your friendships when you find situations and circumstances where you are able to point your friend to the promises of God that might be relevant to that situation. C.S. Lewis, I was reading during the week uh, a a book that he's written called The Four Loves and one of the chapters is an essay on friendship and in there he he talks about how uh, two of his friends and himself would interact and he talks about how uh, in their interaction when, when one of them was absent, when one of them was taken away, his first thought, his initial thought is that he could actually have more. So when Ronald was taken away. He thought, I will have more of Charles because it's just the two of us and I'll be actually able to enjoy more of Charles because I'll have him to myself. But he actually talks about, in hindsight, realising and learning that when Ronald was taken away, when Ronald was removed, he actually had less of Charles because he didn't get to see and experience all that only Ronald seemed to be able to draw attention to and... and, uh, Uh, draw attention to the different characteristic traits of Charles. 
So only Ronald seemed to be able to tell jokes that made Charles laugh in a particular way. Only Ronald seemed to say things that would annoy Charles in particular ways. And so for C.S. Lewis to see Charles in that way, he needed Ronald. So he actually had less of Charles when Ronald wasn't there. And I share that because I think as we pursue dependence on God, we need to realize that that we're we're seeking dependence on God. We need each other to do this. And I'm so grateful for the times that I've been made aware of God at work in my life and seen things and great things of God that I wouldn't have seen by myself, but I've had good friends there helping me to see those things, pointing me to God, to see things that because they themselves had experienced in and of their own lives, experienced things of God that they could see of God, they could then share with me that I might share the vision and the greatness of God. I think uh, good friendship, uh, I think it was even um, Banjo Patterson wrote about how friendship or mateship is now it was Henry Lawson. Sorry, <laughs> Henry Lawson wrote about how our mateship is is uh, so beautifully defined when two men are sitting side by side, looking at the beauty of two full beers or schooners, and that's mateship according to Lawson. And whilst a, a, a full and and bubbling beer is a beautiful sight. Far more beautiful, far more glorious is the God that we behold in the gospel, is the one that we encounter through Christ dying in my place, taking upon himself the sin that I've committed, that I might by his blood be forgiven freely, that I can then freely approach the throne of God in full confidence. The glorious God, the one who flung the stars into motion, the glorious God who, right down to the intricate de- details, loves us and cares for us and knows us. For two friends to stand or sit side by side and enjoy that and to ponder that together and to pursue dependence on God and help each other see things of God and how great it is. I love standing on a headland with a friend and, and and this happens regularly with Matt Bingham or, or with Mike Passo as well. More with Matt, I'll say. But sometimes we surf too early for Mike. But, <laughs> yeah. but in, in that sense, we stand on a headland and, and I might not be aware of a, a beautiful wave breaking um, and I might have my vision over here and, and Matt will draw my attention to the beautiful right hander that will be peeling along. And I wouldn't have seen it if I didn't have my friend standing side by side with me, helping me to see something beautiful. How do you glorify God in your friendships? You pursue dependence on God together and there can't be anything more beautiful. Beautiful waves, they're great. Enjoying a great hobby, like a great game of sport together, that's cool. Maybe doing a puzzle together, that's cool too. And there's a place and a category for all these good things. (laughs) But... But ultimately, you know what is so much far more enjoyable in friendship? What is so much more beautiful than puzzles? (laughs) Is to pursue and ponder and glimpse the greatness of God together. To sit side by side and to glimpse the greatness of God together. To pursue together dependence on God. And Jonathan gives us a great example here by helping his friend, reminding his friend of the promises of God. To behold that God is sovereign and God promised that you shall be king. You just need to trust him. Remember that, David. You just need to trust him. In this tough situation, Saul's not going to get you. Remember that promise? God's, God's a good God. God has made many promises to you, David. You just need to trust him. You, you shall be king. How do you glorify God in your friendships? You pursue dependence on God. You be intentional. You pursue dependence on God. And you be committed. Verse 18. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Haresh and Jonathan went home. 
Now, I think for many of us, this is a kind of a funny language to ponder, a covenant between two friends. I think when we, if we put it in the context of marriage, we might understand a little more. We might kind of go, yeah, I think that makes sense. I understand a covenant, two people making a promise to each other. But we don't really often hear about two uh, people making a covenant within their friendship. And that's okay. I don't think it necessarily has to always be spoken that we make a promise to each other. But at the same time, I think it's, there's something beautiful about and God-glorifying in the sense that we are willing to be committed to people. Committed in the old sense, of, as, as Australians, we, we, we review, and I was doing a little bit as I was looking at what mateship is this week as well. And we review it often when Anzac Day comes around. This idea that they were committed to each other. That if one of them fell, their mate was there with them, picking them up. If one of them went out of the trenches, their mate was going to be with them. They were committed. They would stand with each other. And by hook or by crook, they would fall with each other. They would be wherever the other one went. Mateship. That sense of standing with each other, being so for one another, that whatever happens, I'll be there for you. And in essence, that's what David and Jonathan were renewing here. They're just going, yep, whatever tough situation we find ourselves in, we're there for each other. We will stand for one another. We will be seeking the good of one another. God is glorified in our friendships when we are committed, when we are committed to one another. To some degree, I can share some examples. They're not necessarily the greatest examples, but I'll share them because it might give you some category. There have been times in my life where uh, a good mate of mine when I was living in Nambucca, who was my housemate, Greg Williams, which, no relation, but there you go. <laughs> Greg Williams and I were living together and we played soccer together and we were both centre midfields in, the, in this team. Um, and we played in the Coffs competition, which was a very feisty competition. And uh, often the, the refs were not the greatest capable refs, in my opinion, my humble opinion. <laughs> um, and often we would find our legs just being snapped and no whistle was blown. Um, or often maybe we, you know, in our haste, uh, would maybe do a similar tackle and no whistle would be blown. And often there would be fiery, firecracking conversations unfolding. And in those situations, I had a friend who was committed to me. I had a friend who would stand with me in those situations. If I had made a mistake, he was there with me and uh, he was there to push away the person who wanted blood and pull me away. <laughs> pull me away from a tough situation and get me out of there. And then probably have tough words with him about, seriously, you shouldn't tackle like that as well. But in that situation, he would pull me away. He would be with me and do what was necessary that was good for me. He would stand with me. He didn't run away and go, you're on your own there. He would be there with me and stand with me. He was committed. What does that look like to have friendships like that? To have friends who are committed to you, not just on the football field. But when you're in tough situations, maybe when you make a mistake, when you fall miserably in sin, to have a friend who will stand with you and be there for you and forgive you, not slander you, not join with the gossips and go, yeah, I can't believe they did that, but to be committed to you and your good, to stand with you in and through all that you might face. How do you bring glory to God in your friendships? You be intentional. You pursue dependence on God. And you be committed. By way of application, I think there's three people or three groups that I want to address now in terms of applying friendship. I want us to consider, and I want to speak to three groups. The first group that I want to speak to is, is to those who are popular or those who have many friends. And when we talk about uh, thousands of Facebook friends, they not only have thousands of Facebook friends, but they try and catch up with all of their thousands of Facebook friends regularly. I want to speak to you in, in a moment. I want to have a word to those who are the opposite, who you hear a sermon on friendship and you've been sitting there overwhelmed and more aware of loneliness. And I want to have a word, I think the Bible has much to say, to that situation. And then lastly, I want to have a word to us as a church as we go about 
pursuing godly friendship together. So firstly, as we look at application, uh, those who perhaps are popular, you might not admit it freely in your humility, and that's great, but maybe you're in the situation where you are aware that you are busy trying to see lots of people, where your weekends and your weeknights are packed, and you're trying to catch up with friend after friend after friend after friend, and you hear a sermon about be intentional and be committed, and you might be provoked and challenged by, well, how do you actually do that if you have lots of friends like me? How do you be intentional and committed to hundreds of people? It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. And I don't necessarily have a clear-cut answer. I don't think the Bible necessarily gives us a clean-cut answer about how you be a friend and a good, God-glorifying friend to lots of people. But the Bible certainly does speak a lot about being intentional and being committed. And so I, I want to encourage you to do that. And to be intentional and committed to lots, in my experience, when I've done that, when I try and be intentional and committed to my preschool friends, my primary school friends, my high school friends, my uni friends, my soccer friends, my basketball friends, my, you know, and it keeps going, the, the church that I first went to, the church that I second went to, the, you know, and I try and maintain these relationships, these friendships, the, the, the people that I've shared some sort of commonality uh, since I was born to the day that I am presently in. And the, the times that I've done that, when I first moved back to Sydney, we were just running ourselves ragged trying to maintain friendships with lots and lots and lots of people. And being intentional and committed to lots resulted in me actually being intentional and committed to none. That was my experience. Trying to please lots kind of saw that I was actually pleasing none or very few. And to be on the receiving end, I've got friends presently who still are living like that and trying to please lots of people. And for me, to see the way that they, they will often uh, say, yes, I'll be there, and then they come and maybe have 10 minutes because they've then got to race off to the other engagement party, to the other wedding, to the, and they've got all these other engagements. And your time was just slotted in just because they wanted to kind of tick that box in that night. And again, I've been on the receiving end where you kind of think, I don't really feel like you're committed to me like you've been intentional to me. The Bible says a lot about the friends we choose. I just want to read a couple of verses. Proverbs 13. You don't necessarily have to go there, but write it down to have a look at it later. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Steve Wilkins, speaking about this proverb, said, their friends will either provoke them to holiness or encourage them in wickedness. It will be one or the other. It is never neutral. It will be one or the other. It is never neutral. So as you review, perhaps this is a time for you as you have many friends to review who are your good friends. Who are the ones that you can perhaps really pursue dependence on God together? Who you can be intentional and committed to? And may I give you some categories for who you should be looking at? People that, that are going to actually help you, who are going to be good for your soul as well. When we were in the Philippines, there was... Um, we were given the rule that we weren't allowed to drink any water. And we often came across these water pumps and we'd be so thirsty because we were working hard. We were doing a little bit of building and projects where we were building some uh, drop pit toilets and helping build a chapel. And we were so thirsty digging. We dug a six-foot deep hole, which is pretty big for, for our team and for uh, most of us who hadn't really got our hands dirty in our lives. And so we found just desperate that, that thirst desire for drink and we'd often in that time look over and there was a hand pump with water that was there accessible but to go to that pump and access that water would do horrors for your insides for my insides anyway and 
whilst it was uh, looked appealing, it wasn't going to be good for me. I want to choose sources of water that are going to help me, help my insides, that are going to be good for my soul. I want to choose friendships that are actually going to be good for me, good for my soul. That as I spend time with people who are wise, I might become wise like them. And so if you find yourself someone who has many friends, may this be an opportunity for you to review who are the ones that you can really be intentional and committed to? People who will be good for your soul. Secondly, I want to just take a moment to address those who are perhaps here, and there will be many here who at different times in our lives have experienced loneliness. And maybe right now you're experiencing loneliness. And maybe you're single, maybe you're married, maybe you're young, or maybe you're old. I think all of us can experience loneliness. We're not immune to loneliness. And as I'm writing this, as I was writing this sermon, so much of me wanted to be able to stand up here and, and in some ways give a guarantee that that loneliness will end for you in this life, to give a guarantee that, that you'll find good friends in this church. I wish I could say that. I really do. I wish I could guarantee that you will have good friendships. But we live in a fallen, broken world. And part of that is that you may find time that loneliness will end. But I can't guarantee that in this broken world, in this world. But I can, like Jonathan, who pointed David to the promises of God, in your loneliness, point you to a a saviour who can sympathise with your weakness and your situation. A saviour who knows what it is to cry out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that you might find comfort and hope and treasure him more than anything else. To be like the man who sold everything because you would so treasure your saviour. And I know all too well the temptation to put your, to your desire for friendship on a throne. It's a very good desire to not be lonely. It's a very good desire to have good friends. But like John Calvin said, whenever we take a good desire and desire it too much it can easily become an idol. Put Christ on the throne. Treasure Him. Find your all in all in Him and your joy and your satisfaction in Him. And and look to Revelation 21, the hope that we have in Christ and His resurrection, that one day there will be no more tears. One day your loneliness will be completely over. And that in in Christ, your Lord, your treasure, you will find reconciliation, you will find relationship like you don't experience now. You will. And I can't guarantee friendship in this world, but Jesus guarantees, guarantees that in heaven you will find your all in all in Him. And that in this world, in this broken world presently, you might struggle and wrestle, but keep your eyes on Him. I think there's something to be said too about perhaps there are some some helps along the way for those that are lonely. And this is helpful for all of us to ponder. I think for me as I ponder the helps if you're lonely, to examine your heart, and I say this with um, awareness that for me, for example, when I did move to Nambaka and I had no friends, what, what hinders you in friendships? Perhaps it's worth evaluating. Uh, Is there a fear of man? I mean, ever since Adam and Eve desired to hide from God, that is that is our our kind of our go-to position for all of us. That we, in our shame, don't want anyone to see who we really are. And so, for some of us, it's just easier and more comfortable to be lonely. And and we would never word it like that, but we have kind of grown comfortable because it's easier. to not let people into our lives. I want to encourage you to look to Christ, that He would be your help and your strength. And that in Christ, may all of us be aware that because of the gospel, because of the gospel that I'm a sinner, that, that my judgment is that in the cross, I look at the cross and see that you will never say anything that that is... 
even the half of how, how aware I am that my life was worthy of a man dying in my place. That the, the God of heaven sent his son to die on a cross for me because there was no other way. That is my judgment. Nothing you will say, nothing you will share about your life will therefore, with that as my perspective, my filter, surprise me or shock me. Oh, you're a sinner too? Oh, well, me too. I think in, in the gospel, in our participation in the gospel, we find permission to be able to be real with each other, to be able to share our lives openly as, and with an awareness that it's, yeah, this is who I am. But, but, and that's why I need a saviour. And we're all in that same position. I think it's also helpful for us as well to consider that some of us are lonely because perhaps we've been really hurt in friendship in the past where maybe we've had a friend really let us down. They've slandered us. We've, we've trusted them and shared something with them and then they've slandered us. And we struggle to forgive. Christ spoke about a, a, a situation where, a, a parable where a guy with a debt that, that he owed was, was a huge debt, an unpayable debt. He could not pay the bank back this debt, not even if he dreamed of paying this massive, massive debt. Millions of dollars in our language maybe. And the bank manager actually came to him and cancelled the debt and said, you know what, don't worry. Debt is cancelled. And this man who has had this massive debt cancelled, then he's walking home amazed that his debt has been cancelled and bumps into someone who owes him a minuscule, measly amount. And he gets angry at the person, demanding that they pay it back right now. And Christ shares that story in a context to help us understand the awareness that in the cross, my massive debt has been cancelled. That God of heaven forgives me so radically and richly and lavishes his grace upon me. May we be people then, as we walk home, people are going to wrong us in a sinful, broken world. May we be, in friendship, able to forgive in view of the huge mercy that I've been shown, the massive forgiveness that I've been granted. May we, in our friendships, be able to forgive And if you're lonely because you are struggling with that, to forgive people and and approach people again, may I encourage you to ponder the cross again and find where you are in the cross. Find the forgiveness that you have been shown in the cross that you might find in that the ability, the resolve to be able to forgive others. And lastly, I want to just speak to us as a church. As a church... I want to encourage us. I think we do a great job. I think many of us are experiencing wonderful friendship within this church. Wonderful fellowship happens within our life groups and and many of that is the overflow of the developing and growing of friendship. Good, God-glorifying friendship. I think that's great. But I want to encourage us as a church to be aware that it's still possible for people to be in this church amongst us who are lonely. I think it's still possible for us still to be prone in our sinfulness, to be having conversations and looking over the shoulder for someone else that we want to go and talk to, or the next person we want to talk to. I think it's possible for people to come to our church with a a deep desire for friendship, and for us to perhaps not be as intentional and helpful for those who are lonely. I want to encourage us that... There's a time and a place to turn off the television, to turn off the smartphone and to be a good listener. That if there is someone who is lonely, who so desperately wants to share what is going on in their life and that is difficult for them, that when they do speak, they will be heard. When they share whatever they want to share, that in this church, they would be heard. And that's a challenge. And so again, for us as a church, look to the one who hears us. Humble yourself and be aware that the world, that this world does not exist for me. 
but for him. And so for his sake, I want to listen to those who come to our church and I want to listen well and help those who are lonely. So the I, the I involves many different parts and facets for the I to work. So you've got the muscles, you've got the nerves, the nerve endings, you've got the iris, the pupil, and all of these work together work together to assist the vision of something glorious to be known and enjoyed. I want to encourage you all that you can glorify God in your friendships. When you and your friendships are intentional, when you and your friendships are committed, and when ultimately you're pursuing a dependence on God, that in your friendships together, you would behold the glory of God that God would be your aim, your end of your friendship, that you would experience much grace through your friends. That is my hope, that is my prayer. As we continue this series, Sanctifying the Ordinary, that your friendships would be an extraordinary place of enjoying grace, of enjoying how good God is to you and to your friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to ponder again your greatness and to participate in the glorious gospel that in Christ and in him alone we have been reconciled to you and as such that we are now enabled and strengthened to be friends to one another, to be able to be committed to one another, to be able to be intentional to one another and that we might be able to pursue a wholehearted dependence on you together. Lord, as we review this message into this week, would you give us grace, grace towards our friends who let us down, grace towards our friends who we need to forgive. Would you give us grace and confidence in you, Lord, that we might speak the truth when we need to and remind one another of the glorious promises that we have in you. Would you help us, Lord, in this task and the joyful gift of friendship? Amen.